Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You are now entering a critical thinking zone. So thinking caps are required beyond this point. From deep behind enemy lines, deep in the heart of the Midwest, it's your host, Andrew Coppins. And it's time for Critical Thinking. Why, yes, it is time for Critical Thinking. It is a deep dive Thursday. We have judicial supremacy on the brain. Pat has decided to let everybody know he is a judicial supremacist, a.k.a. bigot. You are a bigot, Pat. No, no. No, 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 no. If you believe that, in judicial that, supremacy, you are a bigot. I, I never said I believe in judicial supremacy. You said off air that you were a judicial supremacist. You asked me if I was ready to talk about judicial supremacy today, and my answer to you was that I feel like a judicial supremacist. Right. I didn't. That doesn't mean that I am one. But if you feel like a woman, then you're a woman, Pat. No, that does not make me a woman. Wait, what? Feeling like a woman does not make me a woman. Then what is a woman? Well, let's see. They have uh don't no, 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 Pat, keep it PG. They have female reproductive <clears throat> parts. Um this is PG hat. Um I mean, where do you want to know? (laughs) There's a lot I want to know about judicial supremacy and um, be wary of it wherever it comes from is is uh, is my thought process when I hear those words. Uh, But we're going to talk about it and we're going to talk about uh, legitimate use of judicial supremacy, illegitimate uses of it. What versions of judicial supremacy actually exist? and then, and then we're going to talk about it from the perspective of the Dobbs case. But before we get into that, now you may have noticed a certain topic was not talked about yesterday on this program. And that was Which the uh, January 6th uh, hearing, that uh, impromptu hearing, where Cassidy Hutchinson, the former special aide to Mark Meadows, the chief of staff of the White House, and blah, 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 right? <clears throat> right. Got a question for everybody in the audience right now. Why do you give a shit about this committee? Why do you give a shit about what they think, say, or do? Take a look around you. Take a look. Gas prices are the highest they've ever been. You're paying $6 for a gallon of milk. Paying $6 or five something for a gallon of gas. Why do you give a shit about the January 6th committee? And it's illegitimate makeup anyway. Because what what are the functions of committees supposed to be in 
our framework, our constitutional republic, if if we still have one. And and that's another story for another time. <clears throat> the functions of committees are supposed to be oversight and legislative, right? So you have the the House Oversight Committee on this, or you have the House Finance Committee, right? Or you have right. this committee or that committee. What oversight is being done here, and what legitimate function of government is being processed here? Well, you you see, Andrew Coppins, uh, <clears throat> the the January sixth committee is. Uh, Don't take it seriously, Pat. Don't find no. out what what happened on January sixth of. 2021 and you, you care more about a soap opera <clears throat> I, i'm just gonna stop you because okay. these people care more about a damn soap opera than a country that is falling apart around them oh no they do you're right you're absolutely right about that so i'm gonna care more about the things that actually affect my everyday life like you know um the loss of religious liberties um, thank God some we've gotten some wins from the Supreme Court when it comes to that. But yep. I'm going to talk about um, the Supreme Court being a problem. I'm going to talk about the economic situations. This other stuff, this did he throw a thing of ketchup against the wall and blah, blah, blah. Who cares? And then the fact that um, the, that. The January 6th committee knew all of this stuff to be hearsay, number one, and number two, um, completely and totally debunked by the narrative of everybody who has testified before her. Yeah, we're supposed to believe this is the thing that will harangue and hang Donald Trump. You're mm. giving this legitimacy for what? This has been illegitimate from the get-go. Mm. So stop paying attention to it. I don't care. Now... It is my job to know what is coming from this committee, right? Because we right. do have to pay attention to the things that come out, because if they're suddenly now going to recommend charges to the Department of Justice, you are doing this all wrong. You don't get that authority. That authority is not given to you in the Constitution of the United States of America for somebody who is not a sitting, bleeping president. You don't have that oversight of the executive branch. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Because what are they going to do? Impeach Donald Trump? Wait a minute. You've already done that. Twice. Twice. <clears throat> the the other part of the problem with this, though, is is not just we're we're wasting our time with this. It's it's the fact that we're paying any attention to it at all. I mean, right, with, right. with what's your <clears throat> testimony yesterday, Two from what I understand, a first year law student could have taken that argument down. As, as Megan Kelly put it on her podcast yeah. yesterday. Yes. A first year law student would have been able to have taken this argument down, but it's such an illegitimate committee because it's also not bipartisan in any way, shape or form. The Republicans had all. no say over who goes on to this committee from their half. Right. And only Adam Kinzinger and, um, what's her nuts? Um, 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 Dick Cheney's daughter, Liz Cheney, um, are representative of the GOP, and boy, are they ever representative of the GOP because they hate you, they really do. But um, 
that's neither here nor there. I think we've talked enough of this. I wanted to just get this out of the way and make it abundantly clear to the listener, to to the viewer over on rumble.com backslash critical thinking, or if you're listening via podcast. I don't care. You shouldn't care. We've got bigger fish to fry as a country. Much bigger fish to fry than some salacious <clears throat> you know, scandal. Talk talk about a a we, we were supposed which, to care about uh a fake P tape in twenty sixteen too, right? Yep. Okay. Moving on though, we have a lot to talk about today and we're gonna go deep diving. Do you want to go deep diving first or do you want to do the B or not the B and get that out of the way? Uh however you would like to do it. I, I could go either way. Why don't you we do go... the B or not the B? Yep. Works for me. Why Let's don't we do, do that? Let's do it. All right. Today's headline for the B or not the B is Elmo dies of myocarditis after receiving COVID vaccine. Elmo dies of myocarditis after receiving COVID vaccine. While you're thinking about this, uh, folks, please uh, check out my brand new podcast. Episode two dropped this morning, Reviving Liberty. Wherever you get your podcast, uh, go check it out, Reviving Liberty. Uh, today's episode, what is liberty? What is revival? We're asking the important questions. We're defining the terms before we start walking the path of actually reviving liberty, living a liberty mindset in our own lives. Um, so, yeah, hit us up. Uh, the next episode will drop uh, while well, it's dropping today or dropped today. And then the next one every Tuesday after. Um, so we we had to drop two episodes to get you to and through this before we get to Election Day uh, in November. And that's our goal. So, um, yeah, check it out. Um, episode two, what is revival? What is liberty? Revivingliberty.com or wherever you find your podcasts. All right. Do you need the headline one more time, Pat? Unfortunately for you, no, because when I was... Uh... Gathering WTF stories yesterday, I actually ran across this from the Babylon Bee. Dang it. But yes, Elmo dies of myocarditis after receiving COVID vaccine. <clears throat> Reports have confirmed that beloved Sesame Street resident Elmo died unexpectedly this morning, just a few hours after receiving the COVID vaccine. Elmo not feeling so good, Elmo reportedly said just moments before collapsing. And I know that's a terrible Elmo impression, but whatever. Officials concluded the cause of death to be <clears throat> unknown. Although medical examiners claimed he died of massive heart failure due to myocarditis, a disease almost never observed in three-year-olds like Elmo. <clears throat> Quote, it is important to remember that our friend Elmo's death had nothing to do with the COVID vaccine, which is safe and effective, said Big Bird to reporters. There is growing evidence that myocarditis is caused by climate change. That's why you need to eat bugs and stop using SUVs, kids. Another local resident, Oscar the Grouch, claimed his neighbors are being used as pawns to make billions for big pharma, even if it costs innocent lives. Open up your eyes, people, he said before, being shushed by Big Bird and carried away by FBI agents. Elmo was survived by his two loving parents and his handlers at Pfizer. Wow. Um. <laughs> How I wonder how because we did the whole uh, Elmo sore Jappy Elmo yesterday. Um, Elmo sore. 
<sighs> so 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 my 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 question my question is how uh because his father supposedly you know did his homework and everything on this how uh how, how does dad feel about that now no comment about it they, they have no comment you bigot you just want people to die from covid that that's not 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 at all what i'm suggesting but all right but if you don't get the vaccine you're gonna die oh wait if you get the vaccine no. you could have myocarditis and drop dead sudden sudden adult death syndrome the sads that that's yeah. apparently now a thing okay yeah uh-huh. yep. sure yep just random people just randomly dropping dead random healthy every year medically checked and cleared athletes just dropping dead having heart attacks on the field just random heart incidents weird almost as if you should have done your homework and not listened to the nfl should have stood up and and this is the thing that bothers me the most about the nba players association the nfl players association and all the other players unions out there they had a role to play in this because they bought the big lie instead of being the skeptical uh people the adversaries of the ownership which they're supposed to be right instead of standing up and saying wait hold up hold the phone a freaking minute they basically were partners in forcing the jab upon people to participate in their sport now you could say you have a choice to make right you can walk away but here's the deal though if you did that and you tried to play professional football let's say in the usfl or elsewhere what were those rules, right? Are you going to have to get jabbed there too? It, yeah, I uh, believe the, so. The concept of, and and I don't want to deep deep dive here, but the concept of you can you can make a choice only works if there's actually a real choice in front of you. It only works if if turning around and doing something or or doing what you've been doing and putting your energy in a different direction isn't also creating the same avenues, right? Isn't set up the same way. So like, for instance, if, if your job, right, mandated the jab and then every other employer did the same thing, you can't make a choice. Your choice is to do what? Starve yourself or get a job. That's not a choice. Right. That's coercion. Yep. It's not even coercion. It's literally um, forced medical practice. So if a society or a segment of society is doing this to their people, the, the union should have been set up to be that adversarial person, should have been the skeptic in this situation. Instead... Mm, not so much, right? Did it, did no. the players' union stand by Kyrie Irving? Oh hell no! Oh hell no! No way! Now Kyrie Irving bravely stood up and suffered the consequences, but he could because he's a multi-freaking millionaire. Joe Schmo down the street making fifty thousand a year can't do that. Which, by the way, uh, I don't know if you saw this or not. He, mm-hmm. you know, had the option to either opt into his contract or opt out and, and go play somewhere else. I'm actually very surprised. 
I'm very surprised after how the Brooklyn Nets treated him this last season mm-hmm. that he is staying his final year in his contract with the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I wouldn't have. Sadly, Bobby Portis of the Bucks is not. Yeah, he, he's becoming a free agent. Uh, that's that's a sad day for the Bucks, but um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, we are here to talk judicial supremacy. Deep dive on this Thursday. So let's let's hit it because one of the things that um, that the right has really been active against is this concept of judicial supremacy, right? They they believe that uh, judicial supremacy is basically a euphemism for judicial activism, right? They're going to make and bake re- legislation from the bench. Um, that's what the right has been railing against for the better part of two decades at this point. Um, at least politically, right? And it's probably been a thing that they've been fighting for 30, 40 years. But the left in the Dobbs decision and in the uh, the Second Amendment uh, decision, in the, the concealed carry decision, right? And in the, um, the religious liberty decisions that have come down, arguably have been, number one, the, the most conservative decisions, politically at least, of our lives. This is the most conservative a court has ever been, ever, in its rulings. Uh, I, I haven't seen a more conservative court in... Right. Well, but, not in my lifetime, anyway. But to the left, this is judicial supremacy at work, judicial activism at work. And so I take a look at that and I wonder, are they right? More importantly, I take a look at it, and I wonder to myself, is all judicial supremacy bad? Is judicial supremacy a real thing? Has this been made up for us, right? Has this been made up as a a political weapon, right? To be able to weaponize um, and whip up support for conservative activists going on to the court. And if is originalism judicial supremacy? So let's start here. What is judicial supremacy as an actual theory, right, Pat? Can can you define it? And I think the interesting thing is that much like, not to harken back to reviving liberty too much, but much like liberty, it is not an easily definable term because there are multiple avenues and venues or theories as to what judicial supremacy can represent, correct? Correct. Okay, so could you define it for our audience um, on your own terms? So judicial supremacy, in my own terms, Mm -hmm. would be where the court is not ruling just on existing law, but essentially making law like taking power away from the legislative branch and basically making law out of thin air mm-hmm. and then ruling based on that and putting law into place. Yeah. And, and I think for me, what I would easily try to define it as is that the, the concept of judicial supremacy is that the Supreme court is the authoritative interpreter of the constitution. It is the authoritative body, and therefore its decisions are binding, right? And they're always right. 
Um, that's a that's an easily definable way of putting it. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I mean, but um, our our fine friend uh, Matthew J. Frank, writing in National Affairs back in 2016, points out um, that in the descent of Obergefell, right, the the decision that um, created constitutional right to gay marriage. Because let's be clear about that. That's what they did. They created a constitutional right for anybody to marry anybody. They created same-sex marriage as legal. They created a right to marriage in the Constitution. Right. Okay. But as he points out, um, even John Roberts, Alito, Scalia, Thomas, at the time of Obergefell, they were in the minority, right? Right. They point out, um, by the way, John Roberts wrote the dissent, okay? Points out that um, the, the majority has engaged in a, quote, an act of will, not of legal judgment, thereby stealing the issues or issue from the people. Just who do we think we are? Now, um, Frank also notes that um, that Roberts continues saying, nowhere is the majority's extravagant conception of judicial supremacy more evident than it's in than in its description and dismissal of the public debate regarding same-sex marriage. And as Frank points out, many people use the phrase judicial supremacy. And know it describes a problem, right? Knows that it's a problem, but what what actually is the problem? And he goes through three possibilities of judicial supremacy here that I think are important. So one of them is judicial supremacy of imperial power. Now... It is the, this is the idea, imperial power, the supreme authority of the federal judiciary to decide any and all important political or social questions that are confronting the country. Never mind the authentic constitutional addressment of it or not. It it is, well, if if somebody makes a law in the United States of America, right, we have the imperial power and authority to rule as to what the Constitution would or wouldn't say about this. Irregardless of what the actual context or or actual text of the Constitution says on the matter, which is where Obergefell came, right? Why did, why did Obergefell become a thing? How? How did we go from states' rights, this isn't in the Constitution, if you want to put it in the Constitution, make a freaking amendment, right? Or make a federal law in which then, yes, these people do have the right, as as judges at the federal level, to make these decisions, right? Does this hold up to constitutional muster? That is literally their job. Is this law constitutional? They have that right when it comes to not interpreting the Constitution, not deciding what the Constitution would have said, but what the Constitution actually says on a matter. Right. 
As uh, Frank writes, though, the justification for this judicial supremacy of imperial power is that um, the court is insulated from politics and self-interest. Therefore, it is peculiarly situated to use the Constitution's majestic generalities, if you will, to generate, or to generate substantive legal and policy responses to the nation's contemporary needs. This idea that it is a living, breathing document, if you will, right? And therefore, the judiciary has the ability to interpret what modern-day issues uh, mean when it comes to the Constitution of the United States of America. Now, hopefully that makes some sense to you, because that's one version that we could interpret judicial supremacy to be about, right? The second one is judicial supremacy of textual breadth. So... As Frank points out, Roberts could mean the power of the federal judiciary to interpret any and all textual provisions or principles in the Constitution, so long as bare jurisdictional and quote-unquote standing requirements are met. So, in this idea of judicial supremacy, the court is um, staying inside the four corners of the Constitution's text, but it gathers everything found under its purview. So, basically, they have the right to take anything in America and put it under their purview as long as they're using standing and jurisdictional um, standing as well as actual standing in a court of law. And what is standing in a court of law? Well, we know that you have to have an aggrieved party, you have to have an, you have to have an injured party, you have to prove injury, and you have to prove jurisdiction, right? That's basically all you need. So prove your standing in jurisdiction. There you go. Now, if we're if we're dealing with anything that deals with the textual, um, as long as they're inside the four corners of the, you know, as long as they stay in the the actual text of the Constitution, they have the right to rule on anything. I mean, that's that's how they were set up. But that's, that's not really how they were set up. See, that you, we the first case ever to really kind of come before the Supreme Court was Marbury versus Madison, right? In 1803. Right. right. That, what did Marbury versus Madison do? It, it declared part of a federal law to be unconstitutional. Right. Right. That's what Marbury versus Madison did. But as it points out, even in Marbury versus Madison, a companion doctrine that came to be called the doctrine of political questions. Judicial review and the doctrine of political questions coexisted. Right. So you have this idea that. Um, that basically judges in appropriate cases can decide which acts of other institutions are constitutional. And then on the other breath, but not every constitutional question gives rise to such appropriate cases. And so some issues the judges simply will not be able to decide upon. Okay, so that could be a, a case that we need to look at, right? Are, are they talking about the judicial supremacy of textual breadth? So breath meaning we get a wide um, net 
as long as we are dealing with the actual text of the Constitution versus your political or legal question. But there's still a third, and it is um, the judicial supremacy of authoritative depth, right? And it's this one that I think is the most dangerous. And I think this is the one the left has weaponized with its appointments to the court over time. And it's that they're the authority on everything. That the the um, the judges on the Supreme Court or in the federal judiciary they once they make a decision that's it it is the decisive right and it must be obeyed that decision must be obeyed or else right and even charles evan hughes one of our uh, uh chief justices of the supreme court way back when noted that we're under a constitution but the constitution is what the judges say it is that's a problem right if, if the judge is saying, well, this is what the Constitution says, and obey me, so all other citizens, but particularly those who serve in public office, are obliged to act in accordance with what the Supreme Court justices, or at least five of them, tell, the con- tell them the Constitution actually means. So, I, I mean... Personally, I think this is exactly the version of uh, judicial supremacy that has been most active in our lifetime. Yeah, I, I could see that. Definitely can see that, especially with the ruling on, on certain uh, cases in recent years. Um, and, and here's why I hate judicial supremacy mm. and think it's bad for America, because here we go here. We had Roe versus Wade, right? Right. Right. We had um, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, right? Now we had Jackson's Women's Health versus Dobbs, right? We have had three different interpretations of what the Constitution tells us from the court, and it's kind of like the Supreme Court is acting as a constitutional convention, as if they're the ones that get to authorize us our rights. And it's because our legislative body, because we're supposed to have them interpret the the Constitution, right? But it is supposed to be in concurrence with law that is on the books on a federal level. Right. Instead, what they have done is they've basically amalgamated or, you know, maybe just a good reference would be Megatron. All three of these, quote unquote, ideas of uh, judicial supremacy. Right? right, and decided that uh, now I am the authority. Obey me, and oh, by the way, I can change my mind at any point in time as to whether or not this is constitutional. This is the conundrum and the problem. Mm. Now, I ask you this, Pat Dobbs: Does that reek to you of judicial supremacy or not? I can see I can see where where a lot of people might take it that way. 
The left However, certainly has, right? Right. They, 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 certain, they certainly have. However, I, I don't think so. And, and the reason why is, is because, I, you know, understanding the, the Bill of Rights, um, specifically the Tenth Amendment in this case, and knowing that the Constitution does not have any <clears throat> backing on abortion uh, or abortion law in of itself, Therefore, the federal government cannot make a a law based on on any of that. Um, it falls under to the purview of a state's right. No, I, I think that is a simple interpretation of this is what the Constitution says. Because there is nothing in the Constitution that gives us any power over abortion, this must fall under a state right. I don't. I don't, mm-hmm. logically that, that 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 that's what makes sense here. Um, I would actually make more of the argument that Roe versus Wade, when Roe versus Wade was put into place, was an act of judicial supremacy because there was no legal or contextual breath, right? Contextual, right, yeah. Right. And, so, and, and I will say this. I think everybody, everybody on either side or on both sides of the aisle agrees with that second interpretation of judicial supremacy. They do have that right to take a look at the textual breadth of the Constitution and make a decision right. on your law. Right. That is literally their duty. That is their supremacist duty, if you will. Just as it is the same for um, the legislative body to be where what happens? Where um, they they get to do the lawmaking, right. the budgeting, Right, and unless those things actually are in violation of the Constitution, the the Supreme Court doesn't get to rule on it, right? Right, unless that's brought in front of them as if a violation, or there's a violation of separation of powers, or or whatever have you. Um. So I think you're right. Um, to to point out that to correct an error constitutionally is not judicial supremacy. I mean, take Jim Crow, for example. Right, and I was about to get into that, too, right? So, okay, we're the authoritative body, so obey us, right? Well, 1958, right, they had to do that. When we talk about Brown versus Board of Education, right? In 1958 was the second case involving Brown versus Board of Education, but also the enforcement of that in Arkansas. Where, guess what? You don't get to not obey this because we have deemed this to be the constitutionally correct thing. There's no longer segregation. Segregation is unconstitutional. And so we are now going to enforce that. That was the first time we've really seen this enforcement of judicial supremacy, if you will. Right? Right. Well, so now Obergefell is also in that breath, right? Because they have, they have told the state and local government, you obey this constitutional right or else. Now, what is to stop, and this is why this, this merry-go-round is dangerous, what is to stop a future court from ruling Brown versus Board of Education to be wrong? And therefore, we we can and must segregate. Now, I would I would disagree with that. I think that is wholly bad uh, because 
we know it to be bad. But what would stop them from doing that? Nothing. If you had the right kind of uh, if you, justices on the court that if that you had, had that, all of the BLM leftist activist crowd, right. they would actually tell you if you've spoken to these types of people, and I have, I live right. in a city full of these types of people. They do believe in segregation, by the way. Right, they do. They literally do. They would. They believe that their community should be their community. Get the hell out, you white interloper. I've heard that a thousand times in conversation here. Um, you know, I've heard them talking about how you stay out of our village and we'll stay out of yours and blah, blah, blah. What is to stop somebody from ruling that Brown versus Board of Education, just as Brown versus Board of Education ruled Plessy versus Ferguson and in other cases to be unconstitutional, separate but equal is not separate or is not equal. And therefore, segregation is done. Um, what is to stop them from resegregating society, allowing it? Furthermore, what what if uh, I mean we, we could? What if we saw again the reversal of Roe versus Wade? Mm-hmm. Is that not a possibility at so, some point? So here's the the crux of that matter, right? Because we can go around and around on that merry-go-round for a while. Right. The cure for going around and around on that constitutional merry-go-round is for wo- for what body to do what, Pat? Uh, the legislative body to make law. Bingo, bongo, bango. Now, what do we do? What do we know about um, Roe versus Wade? This court will never allow for a federal law on that because it is not a, in the pur- purview of the federal government. To make that law, the only way that that um, abortion rights could be federalized would be through what? An actual constitutional amendment to the United States of America. Right. It is just like in the gun debate, and I've, I've talked about this too. Go ahead. Let's go ahead and try for repeal of the Second Amendment and then replace it with something else, right? Go ahead and try it. It's going to fail constitutionally people will not vote to repeal the second amendment it just won't happen no you wouldn't get enough states to to, but in, to do that but in in place of an actual constant excuse me an actual constitutional amendment here it reverts to a state by state basis right and now we get to decide on states constitutional or unconstitutional um bans or um you know, full-on abortion all the time, whenever, right? Full-on on-demand uh, abortions. We get to have that fight, but it is on a state-by-state basis because it goes back to where it should go according to the Constitution. There's right. no there's no purview for personal rights like this to be the purview of the federal government. It's why John Roberts thinking in the Obamacare case is so dangerous, right? That that suddenly we get to make sure that the federal government prescribes a quote-unquote right to the people that isn't in the Constitution. You have to do it vis-a-vis the Constitution for it to be an actual right. Now, that having been said, um, 
this comes from this concept of current judicial uh current members of the judiciary that kind of goes like this right that there's um a living constitution that comes from cooper versus aaron by the way and that there that it's a living breathing document and uh, justice kennedy wrote in, in the majority opinion this the generations that wrote and ratified the bill of rights and the 14th amendment did not presume to know the extent of freedom in all its dimensions and so they entrusted to future generations a character protecting the right of all persons to enjoy liberty as we learn its meaning. When new insights reveals, or when new insight reveals discord between the Constitution's central protections and a received legal structure, a claim to liberty must be addressed. That is the living constitution. In a nutshell, this is that is the legal construction of that living constitution, if you will. That is an absolute funhouse mirror version of what in the hell liberty, freedom, and the constitution are supposed to be about. Now, yes, Pat, he's right. The framers couldn't imagine um, that they knew everything about freedom and liberty. Right, they they couldn't, they wouldn't dare tell you that. Why do we know that? Because even after they ratified, or even during ratification of the Constitution of the United States of America, they were literally writing pamphlets and books about what liberty meant. They were literally having the argument in front of the American people as to what government and what liberty is. Now, what was the purpose of the Constitution of the United States of America, Pat? And if the left can't agree to this, we don't have a country. The purpose of the Constitution of the United States of America was to put in writing the limits on the institutions of government within the terms of that Constitution. It was literally, this is what the government cannot do to its people. You can't alter free speech. People have free speech. People freely exercise religion, freedom of the press, uh, the Second Amendment, right? Third, fourth, fifth, you have the right to meet your accuser. You have a right to a speedy trial. All of these types of things in the first 10 did what? Protect the people from government, not government protecting the people. Well, and you could you could take a look at like all the different articles of the Constitution and stuff too, and it and it what that does is essentially lays out what each branch of the government is able and legally to do per that document. So it basically lays out their duties. It tells it tells you exactly what they are supposed to do, and then pretty much all of your amendments in in in, in the Constitution, specifically the Bill of Rights, tells you what the government cannot do in regards to those rights. Right. So, and furthermore, think about this from this perspective, Pat. What Kennedy is writing there is not that in future generations, the American people get to make these decisions, right? The American public can amend the Constitution to help them in their meetings, right? What does liberty mean in the 21st century? Are we even having that discussion? No, we're not as a society. We really aren't. And again, revivingliberty.com is where that discussion is happening. If you're interested in it. But it is that 
what Kennedy means in this idea that future generations can come to new insight as to what freedom and liberty are, what they really mean is gener- the future generations of judges, right? So that the judges are free to change the meaning of the Constitution at their discretion. Never mind the fact that we have a process in place. You could sincerely believe that uh, abortion should be a right in America, right? Does the Constitution of the United States of America tell you that? No, it doesn't. They're, They're too afraid to have that discussion, to amend the Constitution through its proper process. I am all for all sorts of those types of debates. Let's go ahead and look at amendments. Let's go ahead and look at amending amendments. Let's go ahead and add amendments, right? Let's go ahead and do it. But they won't. They won't. So something I've been been thinking about with with this discussion um, on, on judicial supremacy a lot of times we hear this this argument of lifetime appointments to the Supreme Court and how that is is and in many eyes abused, right? Because then then you know you can't the court can't be influenced or the court is leaning a certain way for so many years. It it's not very balanced, if you will. Um and, I mean, and potentially that can be an argument, right? Right. But it is but but the the flip side of that argument, Pat, has to be this. That's the point. If right. you want to make these changes, do this vis-a-vis the actual freaking Constitution of the United States of America. You don't lean on the judges and the judiciary to do your will politically. But that's that's also the point. The, the court is not meant to be a political body. Right. It's it's being but but, but you know, that's why I brought up the living constitution here. Right. Pat. Right. So think about this concept, right? If if we're supposed to believe, as I do, that when we look at the the basic rights in in enshrined in the Constitution, that they apply to all people, right? So segregation, separate but equal, is not equal. Okay. When we look at that, right? Why do I believe that to be a completely, totally settled matter matter forever? Why do I believe that? It's because the Constitution of the United States in its text tells us that explicitly, right? Now, to the merry-go-round. The merry-go-round only happens if you believe that the Constitution is somehow an evolving um, merry-go-round of a document, right? So how do you enforce your quote-unquote binding, right, your textual breath, this authoritative measure, right? We're the ones that have decided this. Obey us, right? If the Constitution is ever evolving, why the hell would I obey any decision by the, the Supreme Court? Why, why not nullify it, right? Why not nullify the ruling of the Supreme Court of the United States of America? I guarantee you that activist judges are doing this right now, right? We see right. it in Texas. We saw it in Utah where they've already... Uh, put stays in place of the the bans on abortion, right? Right. Um, but that's all done vis-a-vis activist judges that they know that that they knew could get into this. And here we go on this merry-go-round again because the left believes that this constitution is ever evolving. 
But you cannot, and and I want you to think about this. This is a really great one, uh, really great question. But a made-up constitution evolving from year to year according to the quote-unquote new insight of any five out of a set of nine unelected judges or 13 or 25 or pick a number out of the hat, right, with life tenure, right? A made-up constitution evolving from year to year according to the new insight um, is capable so that constitution that evolves, right? That constitution that's it, it. Oh, we got new insight into what the 14th Amendment meant, except for there's actually the text of what it tells you it means right in front of you, right? That constitution, that evolving, ever new insight constitution, must be considered binding. How, how is that possible? Those two things don't square. Well, here's here's the thing, though. If if you're going to have an evolving constitution, what would be the point of the Supreme Court? If if the law is going to ever evolve from year to year and from day to day, what would ever be the point of having a Supreme Court to ever interpret the law if 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 that is going to happen? What would be the point? In my mind, there wouldn't be. And and I want you to think about this from the perspective of Obergefell. Okay. That decision, all four of them, let me be clear about this, Roberts, Scalia, um, Alito, and Thomas, literally just delegitimized the court in their uh, ruling, the majority, right? They said that it is not a legitimate ruling. They, that's what they said, okay? If you actually read it. They're, they're, they're claiming these people just made something up out of whole cloth here and decided to tell you that you must obey it. And what they're saying is that it doesn't meet constitutional muster and we can't just make things up and then hand it to you and say obey it. They're literally telling you to disobey. We should resist the decision. Have we brought it back up yet? No. And why haven't we? Because politically and socially, right, we believe that we shouldn't do this, that we shouldn't bring up Obergefell and, and strike down gay marriage as the law of the land, right? Because politically, that is inexpedient. When in reality, we should and then have that constitutional fight. Right, but but here's the thing. I don't think anyone's going to do that at this point. I mean, the only person that's They're ever suggested anything, the, the only one that's ever suggested anything would be Clarence Thomas. But no, in Obergefell, John Roberts did the same thing. In, right. the, in the dissent opinion, John Roberts literally said dissent, literally I'm, I'm said defy. I'm talking, I'm talking in, in, in recently, but... Right, but... but Clarence Thomas saying that, right, out loud, is just a continuance of what John Roberts said in that minority sure. opinion in Obergefell. The, all four of those guys said it. Do you not think Amy Coney Barrett and Kavanaugh think it? Oh, They absolutely. just let Thomas hang himself by his own petard, if you will, um, because Thomas doesn't care. Oh, yeah. No, he, he doesn't. He, he gives zero Fs, and he hasn't since he got 
railroaded in that uh, um, confirmation hearing by Anita Hill and the Democrats, right? Right, right. For years, he never spoke a word on the court. For years. Recently, he has begun to speak sometimes. But, I mean, for like almost 20 years, he never said a word on any decision in the court. He would listen, write his own decision, or agree, or concur, or disagree, and go from there. His only words ever spoken or whatever were the ones written in a decision for years. So the point of the bringing this up, though, is that the judicial supremacy that the left believes in is wholly dangerous to the United States of America. And I have to look at that from a, from a did Dobbs do the same thing perspective? Did Dobbs create law? Did Dobbs decide that or did the the six justices basically, even though Roberts was technically a concurrence, not a vote yay or nay, um, those six justices, did they act with judicial supremacy to create law or did they interpret the Constitution? And I think here's the thing. Judicial supremacy is only legitimate when it enforces the actual Constitution of the United States of America. I, I would agree. Judicial supremacy in and of itself is not bad. It is bad when it is coupled with the spirit of the age idea that the Constitution is an evolving, breathing, living document, that it should just be interpreted any way, put the finger in the air, and wave it around like it just don't care, right? The Constitution is not a living, breathing document. The Constitution is what it is, and it's only living and breathing in so much as the American people, through its legislative processes, decide to amend it, decide to make laws about it. That's it. That document doesn't change. It says what it says, and it means what it means. If you, if you actually dive into the document itself, it is pretty self-explanatory. Right? Right. All right. So that is today, the final day in June. Tomorrow, July 1st, it is going to be um, our July 4th um, special. And we're going to do something different. A lot of people like to read the Declaration of Independence on their shows and this, that, and the other thing. Right? Right. All right. Well, we're going to do something different, Pat, because we're going to go through and tell you, not in reading the entire thing, we're actually going to go piece by piece through the 27 usurpations that were in this document. Because too often people tune out those things, right? They know the first, the first two paragraphs and then the very last, right? Right. But all the things that come in the middle of this are super important to understand how we are supposed to view liberty. And also, there's a mystery 28th, and I, I think I had talked about this on the show earlier this week or last week, but there is a 28th usurpation that was in the original document of the Declaration of Independence, only taken out so that 
two members of the 13 colonies would make it unanimous because the Declaration of Independence had to be unanimously passed to ensure that the colonies would be able to actually revolt. And I think you'd be, well, I don't know if you'd be surprised by it, but it, it kind of kills a narrative that the left has been circulating for the past decade and a half. Mm. Um, so we're going to go there. We're going to talk about them. Uh, we're probably just going to go through, um, you know, and read them. And then maybe if we have a comment on a couple or five of them, we'll, we'll pick out uh, some of those that we need to, to really talk about. But we're going to go through that tomorrow. Uh, to celebrate the 4th of July. Um, but we are going to be celebrating the 4th of July with a week off next week as well. So until tomorrow, and uh, get ready for your usurpations. Um, your final thoughts, Pat. Don't get lost. Remember who you are. No means no. And jab me Elmo. Elmo, so... Please be smart, be safe, be kind. And as always, Matthew... 547. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash news ad free. That's Amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.